Recorded live from the fabulous Fetter Building in Rochester, New York, welcome to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Jace Meyer Crosby. My pronouns are he, him. And what does that mean? What does what mean? Recorded live. It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Like, is it recorded or is it live? Uh, well, it was live when we recorded it. Isn't everything? You know, my regular co-host, Amy Stevens, doesn't ask stuff like that. Well, Amy's not here, and you wanted me to ask the penetrating questions. Not of me, of our guest, Scott Austin, pastor of Artisan Church here in Rochester. He'll be joining us to talk about faith, love, acceptance, finding common ground, and probably a bit about his new band, Austin Hollow, because I'm going to make him do that. All that and more after our traditional music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Jace Meyer Crosby, and my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Penny Sterling, and mine are she, her. Penny, have I ever told you that you're a natural for the Nashville sound? Well, thank you, and you're a little too L.A. She was a natural for the Nashville sound. He was a little too L.A. Music from Austin Hollow to start this segment. That's A Man Like That, the first song on Austin Hollow's first EP, The Farmington Demos. Austin Hollow is one of the side gigs of our guest today, Scott Austin, a pastor and musician who tries to live out both of those vocations in a way that makes the world a more loving and beautiful place. In 2005, Scott was one of the founding pastors of Artisan Church here in Rochester. In addition to Austin Hollow, Scott's also a member of the Celtic rock band Sisters of Murphy. Scott, I'm starting today with music because I definitely want to give you the chance to plug your upcoming events, and I suspect that if we don't get in off the top, we might not get to it at all. So tell me, what's going on with you musically these days? Well, how kind of you to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I have, um, the biggest thing that I would want to promote is Austin Hollow's uh, tribute to Jason Isbell, which is March 28th at Three Heads Brewing uh, in, in Rochester. And we're going to play a set of original music, uh, including the song people just heard. And then we are going to play the entirety of the Grammy-winning album, The Nashville Sound, uh, by Jason Isbell and the 400 in it. Yeah, I'm going to clap on the one and the three, just so you know. Yeah, that's a that's a a good inside joke. That is a real good inside. All all the Isbell heads are what is one of the Isbellers is is Isbellites. Not sure how that goes actually. I don't know. I don't either. But uh, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun and. Am I correct in assuming that there's going to be a, a, a giveaway that's in with that? You are correct, yeah. So Jason Isbell is coming to CMAQ this spring, Ooh. and uh, I snagged a couple of tickets for myself and a couple of tickets for some future friends. So we're going to give away that other pair of tickets to um, a guest to be determined at the show that night. And uh, he's actually opening for the Trey Anastasio Band, which is a, a huge thing for me, too. Oh, um, yeah. But, you know, for the Isbel people, what are the Isbelites? Is that what yeah, Isbelites, yes. Isbelli- <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say Isbelians, but I see we're doing biblical humor, yeah, exactly. and now I regret everything. It's clearly the Isbelites. We're on oh, theme we for are. today. Jeez, I just, I didn't pick that up. Until oh, you said. good. I don't feel so bad then. 
And you're so tall, it's very hard to put anything over your head, Scott. Oh, that's but true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that's going to be again on the 28th? The 28th of March at Three Heads Brewing. And then, of course, there's all kinds of Irish gigs for people who want to do that sort of thing. Yeah, so Sisters, Sisters of Murphy, of Murphy around yeah. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, it's, uh, both are going to be really, really cool. And just uh, as, as a word nerd myself, Scott, I know, is a word nerd. And as, as a word nerd myself, I, I absolutely love the name Austin Hollow because it works on so many. When I first time I saw it, oh, that is so clever because it works, you know, it works, you know, geographically because Austin, Austin. In Texas, that sort of alt country thing, and the, and also ge- geologically with the hollow, the Austin hollow, and then ho- and hollow like the hollow body guitar, and Austin because that's you as well, and oh. hollow because that's your head, and <laughs> all those things that are going on there at the same time. So that's just really, really wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm just picking up on some of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's another isbelite moment. Yeah, right, another right. isbelite <laughs> moment. So, so that's that's the music stuff. That what. But what I really want to talk to you about today, um, and we've talked about this in the past, is is faith. And I'm kind of nervous about this, to be honest, because usually when I go into one of these interviews, I have an idea of where I want it to go. Uh, this is the only one I've ever gone where all I know is where I don't want it to go. And mm. uh, this is a very, very, very touchy subject for me um, as a person who is trying to um, I don't want to say come back to faith because even though I grew up in the Methodist uh, faith, uh, I would go to church every Sunday. Um, I, I really never had much of a connection with God or Jesus. And um, honestly, I didn't really want to until I got older. And um, and coming to, I've been going to uh, Artisan Church for nearly the entire time of its existence. And I keep on saying I'm not going to come back anymore, but I keep on doing because I keep on feeling grace, these moments of grace, these moments of hope and these moments of possibility, uh, not just from you, but from the other pastors that have been there and a lot of people who go there. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, as a transgender woman, it is very hard for me to to deal with um, a lot of what is going on in the in the world today, especially in the uh, in the Christian world and the evangelical world, of which Artisan Church is a part. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm worried about that. I don't want this to me. I, I, I don't want you know to to you know like where's your Messiah now sort of <laughs> crap here. Yeah. But uh, so so if it does get that way, let's do all I'll do our best to move me back from that ledge because I don't want to go there. I do want to hear about you. And I do want to hear your background, because what I've heard, you've, you've mentioned it in passing a couple of times from the pulpit, or what passes for a pul- pulpit at Artisan. Um, <laughs> a Manhasset music stand. <laughs> a Manhasset music stand. Yeah, Artisan Beautiful. is, I love this church. And when I first got there, I thought it, it was, there were like four pastors sharing two salaries. And I used to say, if, it was a, if, if somebody was wearing shoes, it was a formal event. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what exciting. You, it really was. <laughs> and the music was phenomenal. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of talking here. I don't want to talk as much. I want to hear from you, Scott. I would like to hear your faith journey because you were raised by bears in Maine, I think. No. <laughs> that was the other pastor that was there. Yeah. But, so I, let me let me shut up and let me hear you talk about Give your uh, nickel tour of your life. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll do my best. Um, and I'll just affirm what you, what you said that, you know, if, if we get to a place that feels uncomfortable to uh, either of you or you would anticipate would be uncomfortable for others, um, we can definitely tap the brakes and, and think about where we're headed. I want to be, you know, uh, kind as mm. much as possible with that kind of, Thank this you. kind of conversation. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opt out option. Yeah. 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 So go ahead. Um, so I, I was raised in Maine, not by bears, but by good, uh, good Christian people. Um, I actually have my, my parents are both evangelical Christians. All four of my grandparents were, um, or in the case of my one remaining one, uh, is, uh, st- still, uh, they all attend evangelical churches. I grew up in evangelical churches my whole life. I went to an evangelical Christian college here in Rochester, Roberts Wesleyan College. So did I. Did you really? How about that? Wow. We might have some stories to swap after the <laughs> Go recording. <laughs> or maybe during the recording. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like the topic that we're dealing with here. Yeah, absolutely. And boy, a lot of the stuff that touches on um, f- faith and sexuality and gender identity um, that's challenging or problematic within an evangelical church, I would say is probably magnified in some ways in an evangelical Christian college. I'm inclined um, to agree. Yeah. Because if you're going to be passing on 
belief and and dogma and tradition, you almost need to be more certain and less questioning um, in an academic setting. Yeah, that's right. And then for people who are just beginning to understand their own sexual identity or gender identity in college, and if that if that um, understanding leads them to a place uh, of difference from those around them, that can you know, that can be, I guess what I'm saying is that happens a lot. And when we're in our college years, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whatever tensions arise from that are sort of magnified or amplified by that setting. At any rate, I guess I would say that on the whole, my experience of being in evangelical churches and attending an evangelical Christian college was for the most part positive. Uh, even when I encountered things that eventually became um, past beliefs <laughs> that were my present belief, but then, you know, now in the future from that day, which was the present then, but is the past now, uh, I feel like I'm it's doing a, a very penny thing right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. It's a doctor who episode. Yeah. Now. <laughs> um, I guess what I mean saying is that even, even as certain aspects of my faith and belief began to shift, um, that may have been painful for me, but it, I was never personally in a place where someone was going to cast me aside or, exclude me from something as a result of that. And, um, that's in large part due to my, my own privileged identity, um, markers. So, um, for the most part, that was a fairly positive experience for me. And, uh, I still have a lot of people who I love who are in that world. As you said, my church that I'm a pastor at is still part of an evangelical denomination. And, um, we still kind of, um, I was going to say present as, but that might be an unfortunate terminology, sort of evangelical. Like it, mm-hmm. we have, what I mean to say is we have a drum set on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that charismatic worship stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would well, look, look, look at this guy, and, and charismatic <laughs> is not really. I'm oozing charisma. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there, there's an unguent for that. <laughs> um, get that looked at. Yeah. No, there, it is. It is actually the way I look at it is. You are evangelical by works, not by words. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it so attractive to me okay. is that you, you know, one of the first things that I heard and it wasn't, wasn't uh, addressed directly to me. It was addressed to the congregation as a whole uh, by uh, by Jason, who was the another one of the pastors. Um, oh, I thought you meant Isabel. No, <laughs> that, that would that would definitely stay there if it was uh, no, uh, but he he was talking about people who were have questions and have doubts and are possibly even considered her- heretical and he was like it's okay to be there yeah it's not okay to stay there but it's okay to be there hmm. and that was one of the one of the things that kind of kept me showing up yeah and that idea of you know actual active love uh that that is felt and regardless and there is never any I've never felt any condemnation. I've never uh, had anybody try to John three sixteen bridge me mm-hmm. while I was there. I've never had anybody sit, sit down and go, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Yeah. Nothing like that has ever happened there. And that's, had that happened, I would not have been there. I would yeah. not be there now. Yeah. If I could just uh, weigh in Please. on the sort of presenting as, as evangelical conversation, because um, I have... I, actually, Scott, I don't know if you know this, but I've been talking with Penny about... Um, visiting artisan for for the first time and seeing if it might be a good fit for me. Mm. And um, I think from the outside, something that's incredibly attractive to me is that uh, it seems like artisan church really does exist at this intersection of uh, faith and um, uh, uh, worship and fellowship that we don't see a lot nowadays in that, in my experience anyway, the um, the congregations where in in belief and in creed, they are what I would think of as more progressive, more open, more more loving, more accepting, often end up in very traditional worship styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the more, you know, the ones with the drum sets on the stage yeah. <laughs> um, tend to be very fundamental or fundamentalist even, um, is kind of, has kind of been my experience. And it's, it's really interesting how like taking your, your faith and your love of God to a really jubilant place almost 
seems to necessitate for some reason taking your treatment of your fellow humans mm. to a more a more judgmental place. Um, and so it's really refreshing to see that it, it, it feels very unique to me and I, you're, you're nodding a lot. So I can tell that you've encountered a lot of the, of the same thing that, um, that, that a church could have a very, um, contemporary worship style and a very forward thinking, um, view on the world and who is our neighbor kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I can't, I've long ago lost track of the number of people who told me that artisan was, ended up being like this this unicorn kind of thing for them um, because, you know, particularly um, members of the LGBTQ community ha have, who have grown up in the church. Mm -hmm. They want to go to a church that loves and accepts them for who they are and doesn't require of them to um, pretend to be something or somebody they're not. Uh, and who and doesn't say things that are hurtful, harmful, offensive, all of the above to them. But they really can never quite get comfortable in their skin at like a Unitarian church or even at like a, an Episcopal church or a Lutheran church or United Methodist church or, uh, you know, as you say, with a very traditional kind of worship form, it might be organ and piano and hymns and all that stuff there. It might be just the way the Bible is talked about. Yeah. Um, or the fact that, you know, honestly, I don't want to be overly sappy about it, but they really feel, and this is, this is language that people have used to me. I just really love Jesus and I want to be at a church where I, where uh, that's kind of expressed. Finger snapping furiously, like at a poetry slam. <laughs> oh, oh, feel that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but you have the option, you have the I don't know, option luxury if, if there is such a word for that, because you planted this church, mm -hmm. you uh, were one of the people who actually, and then all of you who, who did this, the, the, the four people that started, it was just four, this is the four of you, right? Yep. The, who planted this church really did this thing thoughtfully and prayerfully. There was, there was an intellectual connection as well as a spiritual and emotional connection that permeates that. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so unique is because there is like, for example, my, my church uh, in Corning, I probably still am listed as a member of that church, even mm -hmm. though um, I've been to that church twice in the past 30 years, and both of them said to bury people. Uh -huh. uh, if you're an artisan, that's not the case. You actually have to actively and thoughtfully and prayerfully be a member of It's like, it's like, do you want to be a member? Then, okay, you have to say it. It's not like um, just an assumption. Right. Yeah. And I, we have, for what it's worth, our membership actually expires annually, so... If somebody is an official member and people can participate at all kinds of levels without being an official member. Mm -hmm. But yeah. if you are an official member of the church, then, then you will only be a member until, uh, you know, our annual meeting in June usually mm -hmm. is when everybody who wants to continue in membership has to sign on again. Um, and it's in part because we want the membership to be more reflective of the actual present day body that's present there. Yeah. yeah. So why is it so fucking unusual for a church to be that way? Uh, why is this the unicorn? I guess is my mm, question. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and the, the fact that as much as I, I I really like going to artisan, the fact, and I, I've I've talked about this too. Uh, it, three years ago, I took a show across the country, and I would go to churches on Sundays. If I was in a town on Sunday, I would go to a church, and I would look for a church that would have usually a pride flag and an all are welcome here in front of it. Mm -hmm. And um, three times out of four, I apparently was not part of their definition of all hmm. because I would get the stares and I would feel intensely uncomfortable just sitting there when I thought I was in a, in a group that was really, that, that was supposed to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that seems to be the norm yeah. as opposed to, as opposed to churches like artisan. Yeah. I th unfortunately, I I know that you're right about that, um, and for what it's worth, I'm, you know, as as much as I'm an agent of the church, I'm sorry that that's been your experience, and I'm sorry to anybody who's had that kind of experience at churches. It breaks my heart to know that people are not just unwelcome, but first they're told that they are welcome, and then when they show up, they're, you know, they're told or shown in other ways that they're not, and. Um, I really admire anybody who persists in going back to church, having had those experiences. As I said, I haven't had them, um, but I have to, I, I'm not that strong. I think if I was, if I had that kind of experience, I would have, I would have pieced out a long time ago. 
So uh, on that note, um, Scott, I would love to um, maybe just talk briefly about um, my history with the church and then pose a question. Um, uh, and I hope that uh, you can trust that however de devil's advocate anything uh, coming from me might seem, I do very much identify as a follower of Christ and okay. um, and the church in its purest form is very important to me. So um, yeah, purely for the sake of our conversation. Um, so uh, my history is um, incredibly um, uh, conservative and evangelical within the church, um, sort of like a hybrid of Pentecostal, Southern Baptist, um, but very non-denominational because I always got the impression neither of those existing denominations were conservative enough. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was a mm -hmm. part of uh, church plants and, and house churches and things like that. Um, my parents um, did identify as missionaries to the United States. Um, uh, so uh, in our local areas, we're very, very heavily involved in evangelical and, uh, and uh, what they called missionary efforts. Um, and uh, that uh, it was very very important to me. Um, I was a very type A, very sort of like eldest child type personality mm -hmm. where it was like easy for me to just sort of accept um, everything that was fed to me, essentially. Uh, I ended up my first ever um, dating relationship. Uh, I was um, very much pressured into marrying this person right away because I wanted to have sex with them. Mm. And, you know, a lot of us have heard this story kind of both within and and without organized religion, a lot of people nowadays get this message. Well, if you want to have sex with somebody, you better uh, marry them because that's the only way that they'll stay around. Um, or you know, you'll be living in sin if you if you don't choose to to marry after you've done that. So uh, I got married at eighteen, and it ended up being um, an incredibly uh, abusive situation. Mm -hmm. And because I existed very much within this very religious context. We were both going to Roberts Wesleyan at the time. Um, so religious families, religious college, all of our best friends were church friends, just very steeped in this religious community. Um, and so the messages that we were getting, uh, I was getting messages that a lot of this behavior was normal um, for men because I was married to a man. I was um, living as a woman at the time. Um, and yeah, so just a lot of messaging that this was normal, a lot of messaging that um, marriage was more important and, uh, you know, we needed to kind of write that out. Um, and when with the help of um, my uh, therapist and some, some very good friends outside of the church community, um, I started to A, realize that, um, that I was transgender and B, realize that this was an abusive situation. Um, I got the strength to um, to leave that marriage, and tragically, every single church-based relationship that had been so valuable to me throughout those previous years abandoned me and sided with my abusive ex hmm. because I was trans. Yeah. You know that like there was no way that the the sort of like wrong, perverse, sinful person could have been a victim in the situation and could have deserved support. So very betrayed by the church in that sense. Um, and then immediately after, um, still wanted to go into ministry. Wow. <laughs> um, so I had, my uh, dad was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and I had always really valued that type of ministry. So I um, uh, started uh, investing in education to become a youth pastor, got a job at a, a great um, United Methodist Church. Um, and during that time... Uh, was seeing the dissolution of the marriage and was trying to like come out. And uh, my career at that church didn't survive that process. Um, wow. I was fired. So it, it's really interesting when I hear people talk about church trauma because it's, it's, it's so insensitive of me, but I kind of feel like, well, I made it like, the, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, that that's entirely unfair because, you know, trauma is completely relative and, um, uh, yeah, but I, that always blips, um, on my brain. Like, yeah, we, we've all been really hurt by the church and I feel like I'm privileged, um, in that I've been able to come out on the other side of that, still really valuing not only Jesus, but people who want to gather in some sort of formalized fashion to talk about him, praise him, learn about him, spend time with each other. Yeah. 
So um, I guess, Scott, how how have you in the past had occasion to interact with, I guess, essentially the cleanup or triage mm. um, of specifically church-related trauma? Um, and, and, and even like, do you have any advice for someone like me who was very blessed to still feel very close to to God and, and the global church after my trauma to be um, more compassionate to people that don't have that experience. Wow. Well, um, thank you for sharing that story with me. So you, we just met. So um, (laughs) that's some pretty heavy stuff to share with someone you met for the first time. And I always try to pause and say, I'm honored that you were willing to share that with me. Thank you. And thank you. We're brothers in Christ. So (laughs) we've known each other forever. (laughs) And I'm again, I'm so sorry that you had such a miserable experience and even sorrier that I knew what you were about to say when you said everybody took the side of my abusive ex. Right. Uh, yeah. I knew the end of the story. Yeah. Right. And you know that I knew this story. So um, Artisan has been, I don't know, the, the churchy language would be blessed. Um, but I would say fortunate and, and the face he just made. When he said that. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's been a very big honor for me, um, that artisan has always been a place that, that people seem to find when they need a little bit of a refuge, when, when mm. they're maybe having to leave an abusive situation, a relationship or a church. Um, and that is not at all to say that we've always been perfect at that. In fact, I'm sure that I have in some ways caused people certain types of trauma myself. And I, you know, I I always want to be cognizant of the fact that we all have more to learn. And, and so, um, but for most of our church's existence, there have been people who have said to me and to us, thank you for making this a place where I could just kind of be for a while where I could hide out maybe Mm. even. Um, And so, yeah, I'm, definitely familiar with, with people sharing stories of religious trauma and, um, church trauma. And again, that doesn't make me an expert at all. Um, it just, uh, it seems to be one of the things that I'm supposed to do as a pastor yeah. is to be, um, a safe shepherding presence for people who have had an experience similar to the one that you've had. Um, could you repeat your question for me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I guess I'm just interested in, maybe it's a selfishly motivated question rather than a, you know, tell me what you've done for traumatized people, show me your credentials. Um, but as as people who, I, I think all three of us sitting here are at a good place with God and maybe even with some form of, of organized religion, what are some specific things that we can do to extend compassion um, in perhaps tangible ways to people who are not there yet and might not be anytime soon? Yeah. Well, one thing that I think is important is to give people space to process things how they need to process them. For many people who've experienced profound trauma in the church, the telling them to come to church, even a church that will accept them is the wrong prescription. Mm, I'm so so glad you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so, I mean, it's it's probably the, the people who keep track of the work I do would, would might be shocked to hear that. Sometimes I tell people, you know what I think you need to do is not come to church for a while. Mm. Um, you know, but that that's, the church is not the exclusive container for God's presence in the world. And, uh, you know, more furious poetry. Slams not <laughs> I know, really, exactly. He's saying all the best things right now. <laughs> um, you know, my, the church is my life's work. So I'm committed to the church. I, I, if I wasn't, if I didn't think it was super important, I wouldn't be doing it anymore. Um, but some people just can't be there. Just going in the doors of the church is enough to, to trigger for them an experience of essentially a spiritual PTSD. Yeah. And if anybody listening is having that experience and feels like they're, they do love God and they, they know they're supposed to go to church, just 
try to let the supposed to go mm. for at least for now. Let him meet you wherever you are. That's right. That's right. And people, I mean, I, I gave a sermon today about the, the Bible and how you read it and how certain words in it that we read um, maybe don't mean the things that we think they mean, you know? Yeah. Um, and somebody said to me afterwards, yeah, I, I haven't read the Bible in years because it's too much, it's too much strife for me to read it. I've, it's too painful an experience. And I've heard people say the same thing about prayer and the same thing about communion and the same thing about singing the songs, you know, and first it, it might be one of those specific things or it might be the whole package. Um, so you could come to Artisan and not sing a single word if that's the part that's painful to you. You can be a Christian and not go to church at all. Um, you can be a follower of God and, uh, a, a, you know, a trusting in Jesus and whatever language we might want to use and refuse to take the title of Christian because there's so much pain and baggage associated with that. Relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a, we had this conversation, uh, that, that, uh, Jason, I, uh, were, were, he came to me and one of the things that I remember you said to me was it's really hard to be both a Christian and a follower of and 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 a trans person because there's it's we seem to be kind of in a in an odd place when we're doing this because there is so much acrimony mm-hmm. and there's so much mistrust and, and a lot of it justified and so hearing Absolutely. and then that's that's one of the things that I, I don't want to make this a an hour long commercial for artists and church but it, it it's more along like why is this so rare why is this so hard for people who are supposed to be followers of Jesus to put all these caveats on there. This it's, it's not an unconditional love. It's an extraordinarily conditional love. Right. Yeah. Well, I have two thoughts on that based on the conversation that we did have over coffee before uh, <laughs> I was uh, set up to co-host this episode is um, that it, it's a very isolating place being, um, being an LGBTQ plus person whose faith is also very important to them because we will always be too queer for the majority of Christians and too Christian for the majority of queer culture. And there will always be fear sort of from both sides of the aisle, so to speak. So, um, so that's one aspect of that. And then the other is, is in regards to, um, you know, the comment that set this off, which was Scott saying that like you may you are free to follow Jesus and never choose to take up the the mantle of I am a Christian because Jesus didn't call himself a Christian. <laughs> he called himself a Jew. Yeah, right. um, you know, he, it's, he's an example that we're following. And unfortunately, we live in, in a world right now where where Christian is simultaneous with conservative evangelical. Christian is, sorry, not simultaneous, synonymous with um, conservative evangelical. It's, it's synonymous with maybe supporting the very hateful current uh, presidential administration. Um, it's synonymous with exclusion and, and, and hate and, and oppression. And so I think, um, I think often not identifying as a Christian, you know, it might've started out as something that I was doing to heal from my own church related trauma. And it's turned into something that I do for the benefit of other people who I hope will find their way back to Jesus yeah, wow. because I don't want them to associate the experience that I'm having with the experience that they're having from, you know, Trump supporters mostly, yeah. but, um, you know, obviously, uh, that's a generalization, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's this very widely quoted passage, um, from the new Testament where Paul says to the Jews, I became like a Jew and to the Greeks, I became like a Greek. Mm. I be- it became all things to all people so yep. that by all means I might save some, right? One, one of my favorite verses. And w- Life verse for sure. <laughs> that's awesome to hear. And what it made me think of what you, what you were just saying. It made me think of this verse. What if um, I became like someone who doesn't call myself a Christian to those who don't call themselves Christians so that I could lead them back to Jesus? That's kind of what you mm, said. Yeah. That's extremely powerful. I'm, yeah, like poetry slaps <laughs> for you too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's really... I don't call myself a Christian uh, for the, for the, no other way of saying this, because I don't want to be associated with a lot of people who call themselves Christian. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I, I find, I don't know, a combination frustrating and awesome about you is the fact that you try to find a way to include both in your life. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times it's like, you know, damn it, Austin, like, 
you know, it, you know, I'm trying to mold you to, to, to be the, the person that, uh, that I want you to be the, 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 you know, like the, the, the shining example of, you know, counter Christian culture mm. or, or whatever, but you don't do that. And, you know, it, and usually I'm just like in, it, it just, it just, I'm, I'm, I'm honored by it. I'm awed by it. I'm, I'm amazed by it. And so the, the, just the way you talk sometimes is it's very difficult for me to, to, to hold the anger that I have towards the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a lot of anger towards the church. Uh, speaking of, I'm going to uh, read something. Um, I, I shared it with both of you. It's a, 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 an author, a Christian by the name of Joe Lumen. Um, and, uh, she is a, she, in her, in her Twitter bio, she, she says she holds her, the feet of her faith to the fire. Mm. Mm. And this is a thread that, that hit me very, very deeply with me. And she wrote, and this is a quote, I sense anger towards the church and you shouldn't speak against the church, but heal your anger. And that was from someone in her DMs. And she responded, of course I have anger towards the church. And then she did this threat. There are thousands of open, closed, and yet to be discovered cases of sexual abuse by pastors and church leaders. That's just in one denomination, and it isn't even the Catholics I'm talking about. Most of the abusers are still working as pastors are being promoted. LBGTQ plus people continue to be psychologically, emotionally, and physically abused in churches. I've seen countless pastors manipulate and exploit vulnerable people and their finances. Churches teach parents to abuse their kids, causing severe trauma. Many adults can never heal. Manipulation, fear, shame, and guilt are commonly dispensed inside churches at the expense of people's mental and physical health, all in the name of God. And it just goes on like this. And it is, it is, it is painful to read. It is painful to hear. Mm-hmm. And it is incredibly true all over the place. So how can anybody call themselves a Christian when this is what is happening in the name of Christ? How can you call yourself a Christian in the, when, when this is happening in the name of the, of the, of the, of the person you love, the man you love, the God you love, how can you say, yes, I am like you? That's a, it's a, a great question, a challenging question. Um, and um, maybe the answer is in, in the, the way you slightly misspoke at the end of your question, which is to say that, um, I am able somehow to separate Jesus from his followers or many of his followers, um, which of course is going to be easier for me to do than it is for you. And I acknowledge that. Um, and that's, that, that awareness and realization is perhaps one of the, one of the things that's a, a tool in my toolbox as a pastor, you know, the being aware of people having a different experience of the world than mine. Um, but I, you know, I try to be self aware and self-critical as much as I can. And, it, and it's perhaps true, or at least partly true, that the answer is because I'm able to be comfortable uh, in church because no one's, no one's looking sideways at me. Mm. Um, and I hope that's not the, the actual true answer because I hope that I'm more sensitive and braver than that, frankly. Um, but that, I, I guess it would be unwise of me not to allow for that possibility. Um, you know, one of the things that I want to try to argue for is that uh, e- even people who behave badly um, need to be welcomed and included in a church community in a certain way as well, right? And so this is one of the one of the challenging things that um, we've tried to navigate at Artisan is being inclusive of LGBTQ people um, while not demanding that um, individuals who might hold a more traditionalist or conservative interpretation of certain, certain biblical passages, not, well, not demanding that those people leave the church. And that can create a very challenging tension to navigate. And it's not for everybody. 
right? So people who've been particularly wounded might entirely justifiably say, I cannot be in a space where anybody who is not going to fully affirm me. Um, and I would say, I totally accept that and understand it. Um, it. Well, it goes back to what you mentioned about giving people space to deal with their trauma, how, how they need to. Maybe you can exactly. handle being exposed to people who might challenge you a little bit. Maybe you can't right now. Maybe you just need to be safe. That's right. That's right. And so the, the, the rule that I have set for our church, and this is from our leadership as well, it's not, it's not a unilateral situation, but is this phrase called radical Christian love, right? So we can have different interpretations of the scripture, um, but I am not therefore free to be unloving toward anybody as a result of my view of the scripture, right? And we know that sadly, it is precisely sometimes people's view of scripture that causes them to be unloving, I mean, you, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I actually think it connects. You can read um, a book by Mark Knoll called The Civil War as a Theological Crisis, and it contains um, a number of sermons preached, fiery sermons preached by Southern pastors during the era of slavery, saying that slavery is God's clear command in Scripture, and that anybody who's an abolitionist is disobeying the clear command of Scripture, right? Yeah. Um, and it's that that will mess you up reading those sermons. Um, so the the point of that story is to make somewhat to make that connection, but the, to say more broadly that uh, it is it is exactly people's view of the Bible sometimes their their um, closely held beliefs that motivates them to be ultimately unloving toward Absolutely. people, and that's a huge tragedy. Um, I. Th- I think one of the things that I've wanted Artisan to be is a place where we can help people move away from that and uh, into a more open and loving posture toward others. And um, it's difficult to uh, expect people um, to make that kind of transition in their understanding of the Bible or of other people um, if you tell them that their starting point is not a legitimate place to be. Mm. So I understand this is extremely kind of sensitive, right? Because sometimes that starting point might be a, a point of oppression. It might be a place of oppressing other people or of wanting to or of having views that taken out to their logical extension would be oppressive. And, and it's certainly not for me to decide when the line has been crossed between disagreement and, you know, um, oppression. So I, I look at it as my job to be, to, to keep the space safe, even as it includes people who might sometimes be in tension with each other. It's more than intention, in, in tension with each other. It's, you know, the, the, you know, the, the thing that bothers me most about, uh, the church that I go to is the thing that a lot of people look forward to so much, and that is our relationship with an AME, African Methodist Episcopal Church, in uh, in the city. Mm-hmm. And I am incredibly unwelcomed there, and it is palpable. And even when they come to our space, I am incredibly unwelcomed. I don't know if every, I think I've told you this about, I was after, just in the sermon, I needed to use the bathroom. So I walked towards the ladies room. As I walked towards there, there was a, an, an, a black woman who I've never seen before, saw me coming and stood in the doorway, glaring at me, challenging me to push past her to go in there. Mm. In my own church. And yet that happens how do you allow space for 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 two sides when when the point of conflict is i deserve a place at the table i deserve god's grace i deserve to have a life in christ and their answer is no you do not right yeah that's the point where i i have a that's my breaking point right there yeah that's yeah. where i live sure yeah i I just came across this quotation again recently. It was the last time I saw it, it was, um, as it turns out, erroneously attributed to James Baldwin. It was actually said by Robert Jones, or 
I think Robert Jones Jr., who goes by Son of Baldwin on Twitter, which I think is yeah. the source of the confusion, but he said, we can, we can disagree and still love each other unless our disagreement is rooted in your opinion that I don't have the right to exist, yeah. that kind of thing. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, because, um, you know, Penny, you've brought up sort of a, a racial component of this. I do want to address the... Um, the sort of convenient belief, uh, uh, I would argue, a, a, a racist belief that a lot of people possess that, um, you know, statistically or in majority or whatever, um, black people tend to have more traditional views of gender, tend to be more homophobic or, or transphobic or something like that. And I think we do um, maybe experientially sort of see things that point towards that. But a big problem that I have with evangelical and particularly missionary culture is the fact that a lot of these people groups that the church um, has historically oppressed, and the church has been a tool of white supremacy, as we know, religion has been a tool of white supremacy historically, we've kind of imposed our values onto these people groups that we're trying to oppress um, historically, um, as a means of controlling them. And so now we have these, these erroneous beliefs that, oh, you know, Africa is a terribly homophobic nation. It's not safe to be gay in, in Africa or in South Asia or, or wherever, when the reality is that, you know, the colonizers in those regions of the world came into places where, um, gender was viewed as, incredibly fluid and transness and queerness was viewed as sacred and women were empowered. And we went into these, um, these parts of the world and we were like, we can control their behavior if we make them believe in our idea of, of hell and the afterlife or whatever. And so, um, we're kind of, uh, we're kind of living with the, the consequences of, of using faith rather as a, charge to treat people with more love and with more understanding. Um, but instead of using faith as a, as a weapon to control the, the behavior of those around us, we're kind of living in the, um, in the unfortunate aftermath of, of that choice that was made historically. Yeah. So, you know, to, um, to move back to the like scriptural interpretation conversation, um, I, I really do think that the problem for LGBTQ people in the church is not a problem with the church. It's a problem with theology. Mm. Um, it's, it's a problem, you know, and Scott, you were getting at this. It's, it's a problem with how the, you know, the, the personhood and therefore the godhood of queer people is, is perceived. You know, God, God is in all of us if we, if we let him be. And if, you know, um, people's theology won't allow them to see God in queer people, they're never going to treat that, those people with, with respect and with grace in the environment of the church because they don't see them that way in their own personal That's relationship right. with God. They don't see them through the eyes of God. Yeah. And I mean, so to be clear, the experience that you had um, is not, would have been outside the boundaries of what I was trying to describe as acceptable within our community. So, mm -hmm. um, as I've said, you know, there are settings, I'm really sorry that that experience, that you had that experience in your own church. Um, and if I had been there, I would like to think that I would be brave enough to stick up for you. And I hope that if that happens ever again, that I will be there and can be brave enough to stick up for you in whatever way, um, would be most appropriate and helpful. So when I say I'm trying to make artists in a space where people can have some disagreements about things, that, that does not extend to you know, preventing somebody from using the bathroom for what it's worth, um, which might be nothing at this point. I recognize that. But um, I guess what I would want to say is that I know, you know I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of the a personal story. My particular views about sexuality and gender as they relate to faith have changed because of my relationships with people who have had uh, the experience of coming out as gay or as trans. Um, I know that those relationships are the most powerful um, way that somebody's mind can be changed about something like this. So I, that's why I want to make space for people to be in relationship with each other because I don't, I don't know of any way that's even close to as effective 
for people to have their hearts and minds changed um, on these really important matters. The same thing goes, honestly, for, you're, you're talking about white supremacy. I mean, 10 years ago, I would have been like, what are you talking about? But now I'm giving mm-hmm. you the, the, you know, the poetry slam snaps, right? Because <laughs> absolutely, we have colonized the world with Westernness and whiteness. And now we're, we're, you know, it's coming back to bite us in many ways. But, um, you know, our interpretation of scripture is very Western and very white to this day. And so we need to be reading yep. uh, black and Latinx scholars and womanist scholars and all the, you know, we need to hear the voices of the whole um, tapestry, a mosaic of humanity. All right? of God's yeah. children. Right. And consciously amplify it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And and thoughtfully and prayerfully amplify it. This, I think, is a, a really uh, a positive and uplifting place to end this conversation with you, Scott. Is there any last words you would like to, to, to leave us with about... Uh, about faith and uh, the the way faith is transitioning itself. Hmm. I would like to close with an invitation to people, if that'd be okay. Yes. Um, so something that we're doing during the season of Lent, which starts this week, is um, we, I'm calling it the deconstruction project. Our building has been under a construction project for many, many months now. It's getting close to the end. But a lot of the people at Artisan, and we've touched on this, have had an experience of faith deconstruction. And mm. during the season of Lent, we're going to be making an intentional um, effort to sort of lean into that and discuss it together and experience it together. So all of my sermons during Lent will be related to that type of thing. And then on Tuesday nights, we're having uh, what we're calling a deconstruction workshop um, where people can come and have a little bit more of a self-reflective time and a chance to to have conversation with each other about their experience of deconstruction or disorientation or doubt or any of those things. So I'm sorry to end with a plug. That's very tacky, but... Um, That's I'm, all right. We started with one. It's a perfect bookend <laughs> for this conversation. And it's so on theme. Yeah. Exactly. Transformation. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Scott Austin, thank you very much for being on Transformation Thursday. We're going to do a quick break here and we'll come back and Jason and I'll wrap things up. Thank you very much. This is Transformation Thursday. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to TransformationThursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Jace Meyer-Crosby, and my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Penny Sterling, and mine are she, her, and Jace. Thanks for stepping in so well for my co-host, Amy Stevens, who's off today. Happy birthday, Amy. Yes, happy birthday, Amy. It's great you chose to take today off to celebrate your birthday. Actually, she didn't take it off for her birthday. She took it off because she's recovering. Oh, recovering from what? Her birthday. Oh. And we want to thank Scott Austin for wasting part of his day with us today. It was actually, I don't think it was really wasting. I think it was really, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it was really wonderful to sit down and talk to him about this, about faith and about mm-hmm. being transgender and about that intersection and, yeah. and how hard it is to be there and how hard it is to, to actually try and live your faith when you are transgender. Yeah. I think that for me, the, the two uh, biggest takeaways that Scott provided us with were kind of towards the end there. And the, um, the one was about the, the freedom to... Um, kind of let God meet you where you are on this journey. And the, the, it's so validating to hear another person of faith say, you don't have to identify as a Christian. Um, you know, it's, it's about Christ. It's not about the labels. It's about, um, you know, kind of making yourself, um, accessible to other people who, who, who could use some Jesus in their life. Yeah. So that was great. And, uh, the other part at, at the very end was, uh, when he was, uh, kind of talking about how uh, relationships um, with people who you have a hard time seeing Christ in are the key to transforming your faith and and to deconstructing your faith. And I love that because what is the Christian faith if not a relationship with with Christ? 
Um, that just that just felt so true to me, and, and I really love that. You know, the Bible is not God, so we we've got to we've got to interpret Scripture through. Jesus through who he was as a person, through a relationship and a personal one with him. And that was, that was great for me. Yeah. I'm not there. I mean, I, I, I hear you two talk about this and it is so attractive to me, but that's not where I am. I'm still going through so much, um, so much. I, I actually delivered a, a sermon at church and I talked about being furious with God mm. and an ability to do that. And uh, that the ability to get closer, I, I keep on, I keep on, getting there step by step and, you know, having people around me, people of faith that I can see uh, and I can, I can learn from is, is so important to me. And having, uh, what I took away is how, how blessed I am to, to know people like you and like Scott that I can challenge and that I can ask tough questions for. And that my takeaway is that if you are on a faith journey, if you're looking for something, do not be afraid to ask those questions. Do not be afraid to challenge what you hear, to, to ask for clarity and to tell people where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, mentioned that you have a, a scripture. Yeah. So uh, Scott mentioned one of, one of my life verses um, uh, from uh, the apostle Paul, but my, my number one life verse that I'm actually planning on getting tattooed in some form is something that for me really sums up uh, this conversation we were having about like, viewing our faith through the lens of who Jesus is and, and, and how he lived. Um, and it's Micah 6, 8 from the Old Testament, believe it or not. And it says, he, meaning God, has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to live justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's amazing. That's uh, uh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, thank you, other than thank you for being here. Thank you for... Uh, co-hosting this with me. Thank it you was, so much for having me. Oh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week's uh, Transformation Thursday. I'll be back again next week, dropping F-bombs and being really goofy. Uh, and Amy will be too, And Amy will be too, yes, uh, doing probably the same sorts of things. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, support us on Patreon if we can. And because it's my show and I get to do what I want, we're going to be ending with another song from Austin Hollow. Going back to my FM days is another song from Austin Hollow from the Farmington Tapes. This is Fly. Thank you very much, everybody, and have a great weekend.